Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you're on this disciple's journey with me as we are reading through the book of Isaiah this week. In Isaiah, we have discussed theological truths, devotion questions, apologetics, and today we're going to look at evangelism from the book of Isaiah, really looking at one of the most familiar passages in the book of Isaiah, and that is Isaiah chapter 6. It simply begins, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And as we think about evangelism, I, I, I want to walk you through this story. And you may have heard sermons on this story. You may have uh, uh, done Bible studies on this story. And, and I don't claim to have anything new for you today, but simply some reminders of what it means to share the gospel. Look at Isaiah uh, as he uh, sees the Lord. It says he sees him high and lofty, or seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, and as they called to one another, they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Think about this for a moment. We, we throw that term around holy all the time. I've, I've mentioned it several times, even in this week. Isaiah is a book about the holiness of God. What does it really mean to be holy? It means to be completely separate, to be consecrated, to have no one else like you. And our God is holy. Now, when we deal with evangelism, when we are sharing the good news of God's, uh, God's gospel, His grace towards us, we've got to begin with the holiness of God, that there is a Creator whose standard we can never match when, when, when people talk about sharing, uh, and maybe you're wondering, how do I share the gospel? Begin with God's majesty. You can never go wrong talking about how great God is. And the truth is, the world doesn't want to hear that because we have made ourselves great in our own eyes. We have elevated our uh, lives and, and, and tried to exalt our goodness. And the Bible, even Isaiah says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so uh, understand that, that Isaiah begins with the holiness of God. And God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. And I think for me, even today, I want to be reminded that I want to be overwhelmed with the fact that the God that I serve is different than any other little G God that's ever been described on the face of this earth. We serve a great and mighty God. And this causes the very foundations of the doorways to shake. I, I, I think immediately we try to jump to Isaiah's response, but notice the response of creation and, and, and even man's creation, the doorways. Notice the response of the world that it shakes in the midst of God's presence. And, and we must realize that all creation bows to God uh, and, and because God is worthy. God is uh, separate. God is deserving of glory and honor and praise. And then when Isaiah sees God, his immediate response is, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am undone. I have no hope at all. Again, think about the context. This is the same time in which Uzziah the king has died. And, and 
Josiah had reigned more than 50 years. This was a time when, when Israel did not experience, or Judah did not experience the transition of leaders. And, uh, and, and for this uh, nation, uh, God, God had not been um, revered as he should have been. God had not been worshipped as he should. Uzziah actually led them into, um, into, um, the, uh, into idolatry at some point. Even though Uzziah was not an evil king, he ended up leading them in ways that shouldn't have been. Uh, we see from chapter 1 through 5 how Isaiah is quick to point out their sinfulness. Woe are they. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 16, Wash yourselves and cleanse yourselves. Learn to do what is good and pursue justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Though they were offering burnt offerings and sacrifices, as we discussed in the devotion questions, Though they were doing all of this, they were sinful and wretched. And Isaiah comes before God in the midst of this and says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. It would have been really easy for Isaiah to kind of cover himself and say, look at all these bad people. I dwell in the midst of bad people. But he says, no, I am undone. I am ruined. And and we're quick to offer up offer up all the good stuff we do. I have done this. Isaiah doesn't do that. Isaiah says, I'm ruined. I have messed up. I am not um, perfect. I need the Lord. And so see the sinfulness of man as I have shared with you over and over and over. I know it's repetitive. I know it is, but I will repeat it till the day I die. The holiness of God is in contrast to the sinfulness of man. That's the great question of the Bible. How do you get God, who is perfect in every way, and man, who is sinful and wretched, how do you get them in right relationship? God would even cry out, come let us reason together. Let us war this out. Let us uh, you know, let's come together and try to work this out. And, and God says, I'm going to bring you uh, to me. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Um, you know, the, the, the beauty of the gospel is that God, in his holiness, changes us. How does he do it? Through the salvation message of Jesus Christ. Now, now look at what happens. It says, uh, as Isaiah um, has this uh, epiphany almost of, I am unclean. It says, one of the seraphim flew to me. In his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed. Your sin is atoned for. This was strange, uh, especially in light of uh, what we've been reading in Leviticus recently and, uh, and the offerings that we have seen. God really didn't work this way in prior times, and yet the cleansing is seen on Isaiah's tongue. He needed his lips purged, cleansed, to speak a message of, holiness and truth and grace. Uh, and, and then God asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Immediately, Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. What a lot of people try to do is they try to answer the question, here I am, send me, before they're cleansed. They try to answer the question of, okay, I'll go on mission, or I'll be a missionary, or I'll uh, serve in this way, or I'll do this, without first doing business with God. 
That's where you get a lot of non-spiritual leaders trying to make spiritual decisions in churches because people love authority. People love responsibility. People love service. People love the titles. They love the positions. They love doing things, especially if they, they get the limelight. And Isaiah must experience cleansing first to be part of that uh, that uh, that service. And what we need in churches, we need to make sure that we have individuals, pastors, deacons, leaders, teachers, lay members who are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and saved and then called them to service because you will mess up if you try to get people to serve who are not saved. Trust me, I've been there. It does not work. So what happens? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then here's what God says. And he replied, go. And say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull and deafen their ears, blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. And then I said, until when, Lord? And he says, until the city lies in ruins without inhabitants. See, what we many times do is we stop with the here I am, send me. We think, okay, great. That's great mission uh, sending passage. Well, what was the mission? Isaiah, you're going to go preach, and you're going to preach a message that they're not going to see, hear, understand, or want to repent for. And how long will I do this? Until destruction comes. And this is what we've got to understand contextually, is that there are going to be, to be people, yes, a remnant, that will receive the message of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that. And then there are going to be people who reject and they are not going to want to listen. And evangelism is full of rejection. And we must be prepared to that. for that. We live in the Bible Belt, most of us uh, listening. And we're used to uh, a, a, a lot of enthusiasm or, or uh, great uh, encouragement when it comes to the gospel. But the world as a whole rejects God, rejects the gospel. And we've got to be ready for that. Not just rejection, but persecution. This is what Isaiah would face. In fact, Isaiah would uh, ultimately, tradition tells us, be sawn in half. Why? Because he was faithful to God. Are you ready for that? This is the key of evangelism, that we would be ready to embrace persecution and not pray for persecution to end, but for the persecuted to endure. Pray for those who are uh, facing that right now, who have answered the call of Isaiah and said, here am I, send me wherever you want me to go. I want to go. And as they do that to count the cost, may we pray for them. May we, uh, may we hold the ropes for them. And so we see the holiness of God. We see the sinfulness of man, but we see the salvific message of Jesus where many receive, but many reject. And I pray that you would receive that same message and then share that message with the world around you. I believe God can change the world in just one generation to reach the lost if we would all say, here I am, send me. Thankfully, there have been many men and women who have answered that call. And part of our Throwback Thursday today, as we look at a moment in church history, deals with the 13th century. In 1273, you get a man by the name of Thomas Aquinas who rejected the wealth of his own family 
and in piety uh, grew up focused on how can I become a, a, a minister of the gospel. He became uh, first a Dominican monk uh, forsaking the wealth, uh, even to the threats of his own family. His family at one time tried to kidnap him to get him not to become a monk and not to give up all of those things. But even more, he became probably the greatest theologian of the time of the Middle Ages. Uh, I can't tell you how uh, my ministry has been affected by his writings uh, and uh, especially his greatest work, I would say, Summa Theologica, um, this this work on theology in 1273. You see, Thomas Aquinas studied both philosophy and theology, and he termed those, he, he saw the division between those as reason and revelation. And he didn't reject reason uh, in favor of revelation. He actually saw that both of them work together uh, by God for, uh, for understanding of God. That revelation, however, through scripture is greater. He said this, both reason and revelation, philosophy and theology are fountains of knowledge. They both come from God, but in sacred theology, all things are treated from the standpoint of God. So he would, he would say, revelation is greater than reason. There's a point at which you have to have faith above your own intellect. And so uh, thank God for men like Thomas Aquinas uh, and men like Isaiah who would take the word of God and go to the ends of the earth. And may we do the same. May we take the word of God and go to the ends of the earth like uh, some who have chosen to do that in Maine and some who have chosen to do that in the Dominican Republic, uh, some have, who have chosen to do that all throughout the world. May we be faithful. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.